Hey, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Elixir Mix. This week on our panel, we have Sasha Wolf. Hello. We also have Alan Wyma. Hello, hello. I'm Charles Maxwood from Top End Devs. I actually hit the record button this time. We have a special guest this week, and that is David. You have that long last name that starts with the Y that I'm still not going to try and say. Do you want to introduce yourself? Let us know who you are and why you're famous. Sure. I'm David Yemnitsky. I'm one of the founders of Tangram. We make really easy to use machine learning tools for programmers. I've been a, a programmer for my whole life. I went to MIT. I worked at a number of startups after that and ended up at Facebook. And after that, joined my co-founder, Isabella, to start up Tangram. Awesome. I remember working my tail off to become a senior developer. I read every book I could get my hands on. I went to any conference I could and watched the videos about the things that I thought I needed to learn. And eventually, I got that senior developer job. And then I realized that the rest of my career looked just like where I was now. I mean, where was the rush I got from learning? What was I supposed to do to keep growing? And then I found it. I got the chance to mentor some developers. I started a podcast and helped many more developers. I did screencasts and helped even more developers. I kind of became a dev hero. And now I want to help you become one too. And if you're looking forward to something more than doing the same thing at a different job three years from now, then join the Dev Heroes Accelerator. I'll walk you through the process of building and growing a following and finding people that you can uniquely help as you build the next stage of your career. You can learn more at devheroesaccelerator.com. And yeah, do you want to just kind of give us the 10,000 foot view of what Tangram is and what it does? Sure. So a lot of companies want to add machine learning powered features to their applications. They want when someone uses an application, they do something, prediction happens. But this is a lot of companies really struggling with this. They struggle to hire machine learning experts to design algorithms. Coordinating across people within um, the company is really hard because machine learning engineers live in their own stack. They have Python, Jupyter Notebooks, NumPy, NumPy, Pandas, Scikit-Learn, etc. And then they have to deploy those models for serving. Other people within the organization have to then consume those models. And the organizational overhead results in a lot of machine learning projects failing. So so our goal with uh, Tangram is to empower every company to have a model similar to Facebook. The way it works at Facebook is almost every product team has at least one machine learning engineer. And the result is that machine learning touches every part of Facebook's products. And this would be really great if every other company that can't afford as many machine learning engineers as Facebook could would have this capability. So what we do is we empower what we call regular programmers, people who do Node.js, Ruby on Rails, Elixir, etc., with the tools they need to be successful with machine learning to train models, get them integrated into their applications, and monitor them in production, learn about them, explain them, etc. So basically, Tang- Tangram is that machine learning engineer in your team, the best possible case. <laughs> yeah, well, um, the, the way we think about it is that today, machine learning tools are far too low level. So today, any developer can turn on MySQL or Postgres, talk to it over SQL, and not have to understand the inner magic that makes it work. Things like B-tree indexes, ACID transactions, query planning, etc. But because relational databases have had decades to mature, the tools are now sufficiently high level that a wide range of developers have access to them. Today, unfortunately, you have all sorts of large corporations hiring machine learning experts to hand-tune algorithms and design neural network architectures. 
And um, this is not something that we think that every company should be doing into the future. It's just a reflection of the fact that the tools are new and not sufficiently high level. Right. So do you want to just explain what Tangram actually gives you then? Sure. So if you're a, a developer, you're sitting on the command line, you can grab some historical data about your users into a CSV file. The example we have on our website is has a patients in a hospital. So you have a CSV file where there are columns like their age, their gender, their cholesterol, etc. And then one column is the special column called the target column. It's in this example, diagnosis, whether someone has heart disease or not. And the values are either negative, if they don't have heart disease, positive if they do. And each row represents one patient. So what you do is you provide this CSV file to the Tangram command line tool, you tell it which column is that target column, and it will automatically do a lot of what a data scientist would do otherwise in a Jupyter notebook. It infers the column types, it performs feature engineering, trains a bunch of models across a range of hyperparameter settings, picks the best one, and writes it to a special file ending in the .tangram extension. This file contains everything you need to make predictions, not just from Python, but from any programming language. We have libraries for JavaScript, Go, Ruby, and Elixir, and more. So what this allows a developer to do is to get access to machine learning, just like they do with you know the full range of packages available in their package manager. Machine learning isn't special. It's just another thing that you NPM install, gem install, etc., so just to understand, like from a pipeline perspective, because like this Tangram file, which ends up being, for example, checking conversion control or whatever, right? Being this artifact you can use to actually use the model you trained. In the best possible case, would you say that this is like produced by somebody who actually, I don't know, understands more about machine learning and then gets handed off to developers? Or this is also something which like air quotes, regular folks can build up themselves and use Tangram to create that? Like where do you where do you see the like the roles? So um, our long term goal is that all developers will feel empowered to build machine learning powered features on their own. In the near term, as the tools are approaching that higher level, it may require some um, more advanced users. And currently, a lot of companies employ data scientists and machine learning engineers. And we want to uh, we want Tangram to appeal to those companies. So what we're working on right now is we're working on exposing all of the low-level building blocks that are currently exposed only through a high-level interface with the command line tool to each of the languages, most notably Python, so that professional data scientists and machine learning engineers get to interact with Tangram the exact same way that they interact with tools they're familiar with, like scikit-learn, XGBoost, etc. But with Tangram, they get the benefits of direct predictions in any programming language without having to stand up a separate machine learning service and the Tangram web app for reporting, monitoring, explainability. What kind of concepts would a developer need to know in order to use your platform? So to use the highest level interface, a developer needs to um, understand the you know, like basic idea of regression and classification. So regression is predicting a number based on a bunch of other factors. Those things could be numeric, like let's say you're trying to predict the, the, the value of a home based on its square footage and the type of home, like whether it's an apartment, single family home, condo, et cetera. The, in regression, you're predicting a number. So the price of the home and then inputs, there are things like the categories, what the home type is and the square footage. Then the other thing, the other um, task that Tangram supports is called classification, where you're predicting one of a discrete number of values. It's you could say you're predicting an enum. That would be like the heart disease example, whether someone is negative for heart disease or 
positive for heart, um, heart disease. That's the like the highest level of understanding that developers would need to have. And then there are many levels beneath that if they want to customize the the, the training process more. So basically, it's math all the way down, like getting a bit of familiar <laughs> with the math concepts there. Well, I would say that it's um, you know similar to uh, relational databases where you can effectively use them just by communicating with them with SQL without understanding the inner magic. And just like maybe on a, on a tangent to, to Tangram, do you have any recommendations about like where folks can go to like basically learn about these basic building blocks to, to, to get productive with machine learning? Is there any, like, for example, book or show or article series you could recommend to like me as a developer who has this familiar with Ruby on Rails, who's familiar with Elixir and Phoenix, and where can I go to learn about that and become familiar with these concepts so that I can use a tool like Tangram efficiently? Well, I think there's actually a problem with the learning resources today. So going back to that database analogy, today, if I want to learn how to store data in a database, I get taken right to a MySQL or Postgres tutorial where it says, you know, turn the database on. Here's how to do an insert query and a SQL, sorry, select query, etc. If you try to do the same for machine learning, you're going to be immediately reintroduced to a bunch of math that you thought you, you could forget in college, after college. And everything is all described at the lowest levels. There's a there's huge demand amongst people these days to learn the lowest levels of machine learning. And what we're hoping is that over time, people will be more comfortable learning about machine learning from a higher level, like they learn about databases from a higher level today. So just to kind of take your analogy to another level, what you're saying is, is when you when you go look up the tutorial on how to store stuff in the database, it says, here's how to write your insert query. And when you go look up here, how do, how do you implement this uh, machine learning algorithm? It says, effectively, here's how to parse your insert query. And then here's how to write to the file system. Instead, yeah, and, and here's, here's how to write your query. Here's how to use file locking to implement yeah. actions. And yeah, and, and exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and for me as, as the programmer, I don't want to have to care because I'm not actually building the lightsaber. I just need to have the duel occasionally so that I can save the universe. Yeah, <laughs> I like that analogy. <laughs> where, where, where came that analogy from? What the hell? <laughs> <laughs> right out of my head. You know, I, I have a 10-year-old. He loves Star Wars. And uh, yeah, anyway. Okay. It's the natural progression of technology, right? Every day we turn on our computers and there's, you know, how many relational database services to lightsabers. It's, it's just yeah. how it goes. Yeah. yeah. The horse is dead, Chuck. The horse is dead. <laughs> Sorry, David, you were saying something. No, I wasn't. I wasn't. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Just okay. I wanted to ask something, but I lost my train of thought. You're welcome. Okay. Okay. No, no I got it again. So. I'm curious, like, why do you think we're still not at a point where where we have agreed on these higher level concepts so that, air quotes again, regular programmers can understand that, right? Because, I mean, we in the previous recording, you mentioned we have, like, SQL databases, SQL relational databases, and with, like, decades of research behind them. I mean, that, that's true. Is machine learning just too new of a field that there was not really time yet for it to settle down so that, that we can f agree on, on these higher level concepts and how these higher level abstractions or, or what's the reason why we're still in this low level tool mania era 
I think it's just a matter of time. My recollection is that SQL database research was big in the 60s. And there were companies like Oracle and others that were hot startups in the, I think it was 70s or 80s. And it's just, it's time for machine learning to go up to a higher level now. Because machine learning has is you know, just now coming into wider use in a wide range of companies. Well, one other thing, and and this comes out of just some of the conversations we've had on Adventures in Machine Learning, which is another show that I'm a co-host on, on Top End Devs. You just find it at adventuresinml.com. But one thing that's different between, say, between relational databases and uh, machine learning models is that a lot of the way, even in like neural networks, even though they're structured similarly, a lot of the ways that it works are even structural in some ways. And so I don't know that we've standardized on ways that we can actually deploy similar looking models in ways that allow us to say, okay, this is a neural network and here's kind of a standard structure with these different values built into them. And I think if we get to that point where we can say, all right, we've got this standard neural network with these weighting, these weights put into it in these ways that work in, in this to reflect the training that go that goes into it, right? Instead, what we wind up doing is we wind up training the model and then deploying the entire model, which is actually how Tangram works, it, it appears, right? You, you train the model, you feed in the CSV file, and then you deploy the Tangram file. Until we get to that point and we can kind of treat the algorithm or the neural network or the approach as as an engine, the way that we treat the database engine as an engine. I just don't know that we get to that point where we can look at it the same way as we look at a database engine. And so I think I think there's something to that as well, where they don't nest in, in a similar way that make it work in that way. But I, I think that's something that comes with maturity. I think to, to David's point, I think the maturity argument is the right way of, of perceiving this. The other thing, though, is it feels like technology also matures more quickly nowadays. And so I wouldn't be shocked if we're not looking at a 40 or 50 year horizon now, we're looking at a five year horizon or something like that, right? Yeah, certainly. I saw a list um, on Twitter the other day of um, things that didn't exist 10 years ago, and it was terrifying. <laughs> oh, yeah, right? Okay. Now I'm curious. Give give me an example. I think it was actually. I I think it was 15 years. So it was you know all 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 the companies that we're familiar with today: GitHub, Slack, the iPhone. Yeah, Yeah, the iPhone's like 12 years old. Yeah. Right. I have children that are older than the iPhone. (laughs) Yeah. Oh boy. Yeah. Yeah, Okay. And it feels like the iPhone's been around forever. Right. Yeah. It's it's hard thinking about growing a world without it. I know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and then I talk to my kids and it's like, yeah, when I was a kid, if I wanted to talk on the phone, all my parents needed to do was pick up the phone down the hall. And if they didn't hear a dial tone and they heard a voice, they could quietly put the phone back on the cradle and then walk around the house and see, follow a cord from a, anyway. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's really interesting. And all of this is advanced. I mean, to the point where we carry around supercomputers in our pockets. So I'm a little curious, though. Going back to Tangram here for a little bit. So you essentially put in CSV. So this only takes tabular data, correct? Yep. So currently we're supporting data, which is numbers, categories, and freeform text. Mm -hmm. In the future, we plan to support images, audio, and video as well when we support deep learning. Currently, we support what are called linear models and gradient-boosted decision trees, which are the best performing models and easiest to explain on tabular data sets. 
Okay. Yeah, that's typically what you see people doing with Jupyter Notebooks as well. So, And do you, yeah. for people in kind of the Elixir, a lot of people I see coming into Elixir coming out of like Ruby or Node or places like that may not know what a Jupyter Notebook is. Do you want to just kind of explain what that is as well? Sure. So a lot of the machine learning ecosystem is designed for experimentation and research. And so um, Python was chosen as, or Python, I wouldn't say it was chosen, anointed. It became the most popular language because of its great flexibility and ease of use. And also because of its um, really great FFI, so connection to native code for doing the heavy number crunching. That's what NumPy works under the hood, for example. Mm -hmm. So And then then the science libraries kind of got built on top of that afterward. Exactly. That's right. That's right. They're just built as like, you know, higher level on top of that. So a Jupyter Notebook is in some ways the software developer's worst nightmare because it's specifically designed to have code be executed out of order. You write code in a number of blocks and each block can be executed independently in any order and its output appears right below the block. And the output can include not just text output like on a terminal, but also pictures, graphs, etc. And this is really designed for scientists to experiment. It's a great programming environment for that. It's so popular that, for example, VS Code now has native notebook support. And it's really, really well tuned for that use case. But the the use case that we have in mind, which is machine learning models going into production, we're targeting a more traditional software development lifecycle where you write code, Mm -hmm. you commit to source control, you do you do code review through pull requests. And um, that's why we encourage the .tangram file that gets produced by Tangram to be checked into source control because we consider it an asset. Like, you know, if you're making a website, you would have an image and you would commit that to source control. Similarly, your machine learning model should be committed to source control. Right. Hey, folks, it's Charles Maxwood. And I just wanted to jump in here and let you know about something that I'm doing. It's free. It's out there just to help you get answers to your questions about the things that you're running into with your career. So if you have questions about how to get further ahead in your career, how to start a podcast, how to get a better job, how to get a raise, how to deal with a situation at work with your boss, or just maybe you're stuck and you don't know where to go next. You know, how do I get from junior to senior, senior to whatever's next? How do I become a speaker? How do I get to the next level? That's what I'm out here to do. So every Wednesday at 12 o'clock Mountain Time, I'm going to be doing a call. And it's going to be free, totally free. Go to devchat.tv slash level up and you can register for the call. It's using Zoom's webinar software. So it's pretty straightforward. And what we're going to be doing is I'll do 10 minutes and I'll just show you how I do some form of how I level up. And then We'll just answer questions. And it's not going to be a question and answer like, hey, what's your favorite flavor of ice cream? And then I say Rocky Road or whatever, right? Instead, what we're looking for is more along the lines of, yeah, I have this situation. How do I handle it? I'm trying to figure this thing out. How do I figure it out? I'm trying to stay current. How do I stay current? And if you have any of those kinds of questions, I'll bring you on the call. We'll ask some deeper questions. We'll make sure we get you a solid answer. And I'm really looking forward to helping some people out. There will be no sales, no selling, no nothing on these calls. It is literally just 10 minutes of training and then Q&A. So you can go check it out at devchat.tv slash level up. 
to, to maybe make a comparison to like f something folks on Elixir's theorem are familiar with, a uh, life book would probably be similar to like what Jupyter notebooks are that you can also have like this interactive coding browser experience in your browser. I'm curious, like, I mean, on the website, it says like you have like bindings for like Node, for Ruby, for Elixir, for Go, for Rust, for Julia. Like, how familiar are you with like all the, the machine learning stuff which is currently happening in the Elixir sphere? Because there's also like a lot of motion around like Elixir and X and like Axon, which is more on the deep learning side. And, and I'm not even going to pretend that I understand like the nitty-gritty differences between those, but mm -hmm. there's a lot of motion happening in, in the Elixir community and the Elixir um, space around machine learning. And I would be curious to hear your perspective on that. Well, we're kind of boxed out from benefiting from it because we want to target multiple languages. Mm -hmm. So uh, we, we maintain a code base in Rust and then expose that to each of the, each of the other languages. There have been some you know, attempts in Elixir and other languages to build a machine learning ecosystem, but Pyth the Python ecosystem has so much momentum behind it, it seems very difficult to compete. Yeah, but Elixir would be so terrific for it in so many ways just because of the concurrency aspects of Elixir. I mean, mm -hmm. one of the major issues within machine learning that, how do I put this? So there are two main issues that, that you run into with machine learning. And one of them is ingesting data. It's the training in the first place, right? Mm -hmm. And so with Python, they have threading issues. And, and so they play all these games to ingest data across multiple cores or multiple machines. And Elixir just has that salt. I mean, you don't even have to think about it. It's just like, it's like, oh, I need to ingest more data. I have more cores. Oh, I'll just spin up another process. Oh, that that was hard. Darn. Yeah. Um, uh, performance, performance is a big problem in machine learning. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yep. And then on the other end, again, running your models and pushing more queries through your model, same same problem, you know, in a different way. And again, Elixir would solve that so easily. Um, I've thought about the same thing with like crypto mining. It's just like, yeah, why aren't we doing this with Elixir, right? And so I, I'm, I'm very hopeful that the, the future is through interoperability between languages. Yeah. So there are a number of ways to achieve that. The way we're currently achieving that is using the native extension capabilities in a number of languages, including you know Elixir with NIFs. But in, in the future, that may be through WebAssembly, for example. And um, I, I hope that there won't be a need in the future for so much duplication across languages. Yeah. Anyway, so, but yeah. So anyway, I think something like that, something like this, I mean, you know, native libraries that, that Elixir has, one way or the other, I think, I think there's some interesting opportunities. But yeah, my main question, though, is why did you pick elixir because when i talk to people about elixir it's like hey you know i'm i'm learning this this cool stuff in elixir i've been picking up more and more elixir lately because i want to make a little bit of a career transition from ruby to elixir i've been doing ruby full-time and i've been looking to move and i tell people i've been learning elixir and they're i mean even other programmers they're like what is elixir right and so you've got this somewhat obscure language you know why did you pick it for for tangram so Elixir is just one of many languages that we support, including JavaScript, Go, Ruby, mm -hmm. um, etc. The reason why we have Elixir support available so early in the project's life is because it's our you know, first marquee user. It's a small company whose entire stack is Elixir. Okay. At their request, we we made an Elixir library. And what does the um, API look like? The so the API for making uh, predictions is super straightforward single line of code to load the model from that .tangram file. And then 
you can you create an example that matches the CSV. So in that heart disease example we discussed, you just provide someone's age, their cholesterol, etc. And then you just say model.predict and you're making a prediction. Gotcha. Do you have to fill in all of the fields or can you just say, hey, they've got this much cholesterol in their mail? And yeah, we've added a bunch of support to make the API as friendly as possible. So if you provide the wrong type, if you omit fields, etc., everything should happen gracefully. Okay. It just gives you a lower confidence score. Okay. Yeah. So it just says, given these two factors, they probably have heart disease, but we're not as confident because we don't know the other factors. Yep. And um, what we allow you to do is to, when you're making predictions in, in the real world, you can log them all up to the Tangram web application. And the web application will monitor all of your columns from the real world predictions and tell you when there are problems. You can look at any individual prediction, see what was sent, take a look at a, a chart showing an explanation of how the input affected the output, etc. So it can help you diagnose all sorts of issues with data quality. Gotcha. What's Tangram written in? So Tangram is written 100% in Rust. The oh. core machine learning algorithms are written in Rust. The bindings are written in Rust. And uh, that web application, both the front end and the back end are written in Rust as well. And this has been really convenient for us to have just one code base for everything because it, it allows us to make everything work really well together. So in order to use Tangram, do I have to actually have a Rust compiler installed then? No. When we distribute the um, libraries for each language, the native code is pre-compiled. So you just, on whatever platform you're on, you just use it. Uh, it does mean that we're you know, somewhat limited in platform support, but we have you know, Windows, Mac OS, and Linux on both ARM and x86 processors. So we, we hope that that covers most people. What about M1? Mac OS is included with ARM. So yep, <laughs> M1. Oh, yeah, 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 that's right. Yeah. <laughs> so how do you actually include, I, I was kind of curious because I did do a little bit of stuff with, like, are you using Rustler to integrate the NIF? So uh, we actually wrote our um, our own Rust crate for writing NIFs, which we call URL NIF. It's uh, quite similar to Rustler. It provides Rust bindings for the URL NIF API. And uh, we just did that because we needed some features that were on the you know bleeding edge of Rustler and some others that weren't yet implemented. And we wanted things uh, done a little differently. So we have our own crate for it. But it's uh, it's quite similar. I think you already have a fan now of, of Alan. Alan is a big fan. Of <laughs> every every week he picks another Rust book. <laughs> uh, it's it's definitely been you know a superpower for us, especially on on a large code base. Whenever we make a change, the compiler and typings are so strong that we're able to do large scale refactors. So for you know for, for example, we we recently did a refactor that touched thousands of lines of code in dozens of files. It took over a week to do, and at the end. Finally, when the last compiler error was eliminated, it ran flawlessly, which which is really remarkable. And um, it speaks to, for a small project where things are changing constantly, the value of strong types. I actually think it's interesting how the, the general wisdom is that strong types are very important for large projects and I say, um, more, more mature projects. My opinion is actually that's the opposite, that for small projects where things are changing rapidly, the benefits of strong types are, are really there because... As you change things, you don't you immediately know what's affected by it. I'm still kind of curious though. Why did you decide to use to create your own package instead of using Rustler? Because I'm just taking a look at it. It looks so similar to Rustler, which I've used in another project. That I'm just curious why you you decided to create your own. So there were there were just some um, a number of um, missing features. And at that time, Rustler development activity was quite slow. It has since picked up. It was just it uh, felt more convenient at the time. 
In retrospect, though, with the recent changes in Wrestler, I probably would have stuck with Wrestler. So how do you actually com- uh, compile your everything for different platforms and ship them off? Because I think most of the time when I have things, when I have libraries that need to use Rust, it's like whenever you pull them in, it has to actually compile it. So how do you actually ship something with a native C extension that you don't need to have the Rust compiler there? Yeah, so the, the way Wrestler works is it you add a hook in your mix manifest to invoke the Rust compiler. And um, yeah, this is you know part of the reason why we wanted to manage the package ourselves, just so we could manage the um, the lifecycle ourselves. We just build dynamic libraries. So a an Elixir NIF is just a C dynamic library, which exports functions with a certain signature. And so we just compile those C libraries for each of the platforms include them in our in our package and then and then they're referenced depending on what operating system you're on okay i would like to circle back to something you said earlier with like this one of your clients using elixir right are you in a position to share a bit of what they're doing with um, tangram because i'm I'm curious like how they are combining elixir with machine learning and what kind of problems they're solving sure it's a small company they help match job candidates with job listings and they use Tangram models to to do exactly that to find the best job candidate for a job listing and before before they were using Tangram they had uh, one of their programmers using python and pytorch and they were very happy to replace it with a Tangram model so that they could turn off their separate python server they no longer had to deal with that separate stack and do everything right in elixir so I'm a little curious then because you mentioned that you could either come up with it sounded like kind of a yes or no or a number. So how how does Tangram give them a job recommendation? Can, so can they um, give them? yeah, that's a great question. I guess it's kind of like how you think about the problem. So they had a, a number of models which would help categorize candidates or score candidates on various factors, and then for predicting uh, the best candidate for a job, you can just ask the yes or no question should this candidate be recommended for this job and the one with the highest uh, probability that's the one you ought to recommend you can just rank you know order them by probability oh uh, okay that's pretty cool that, that, that sounds interesting so what do you think are like is the roadmap for tangram what are like some things which uh, you currently don't support you'd like to see support i mean you also earlier mentioned tool chain and missing tooling around this low level machine learning things a lot of which tangram already covers but is there something else you would for example like to see covered by tangram to even to streamline the whole machine learning experience even more so so what are the next steps so the um, first and most important next step that we're taking right now is exposing all of the low level building blocks that today are exposed through the high level interface in the command line tool to each of the languages and uh, that will be very important through Python so that people who are professional data scientists or machine learning engineers can use Tangram just like they currently use scikit-learn, XGBoost, etc., but get all the benefits of the reporting, monitoring, explainability in the web app and make predictions in any language so they don't have to have a separate Python machine learning service. There's that. There's all sorts of features we want to add to the application for better monitoring data quality, for comparing across model versions. We'd like to support more data types automatically. We'd love to have great support for dates so we can do data that has a time element to it. We'd like to have automatic feature engineering for things like IP addresses, geolocation, etc. We'd like to add a lot more guardrails. So if there are problems with your data set, there are all sorts of ways that Tangram can be helpful to let you know that 
the data set is bad for this or that reason, or your model is underperforming for one reason or another. Yeah, that, that would have been like more, one of my questions too. It's like, because mm-hmm. from my, my limited experience with machine learning, like I, I had like a course, like a full day course once and I read one book halfway through. <laughs> That's about it. I got, I was on the impression that like choosing your data set and also choosing like certain what kind of, of data you want to focus on your features like that's the very very important part of actually getting a good model so i was curious yeah. like how how tangram actually help, helps you with that right now and how as you just mentioned can tangram maybe help you there in the future maybe you can share yeah. a bit of and, and you've been listening to adventures in machine learning ben says that all the time if no, your data sucks your model sucks <laughs> but that's coincidence then. <laughs> So we've added a bunch of features thus far for um, monitoring data quality in production, but for um, in training, there's a lot that we can do. So yeah, it's exactly that. When you're running on the command line or in your favorite language, we want to add all sorts of warnings, things that come up during training where we discover that your data is bad for one reason or another. And is, is that something which is already supported by existing technology there? I don't know, like, for example, PyTorch or Jupyter Notebooks or what, whatever, which which helps you to discover that? Or is that something which is currently happening in a lot of the heads of, of data science folks? Yeah. And, and how can you automate that? I'm curious. Yeah, currently, it's based on the experience of a professional data scientist or machine learning engineer. And, you know, our our hunch in working on this project is that a lot of that work can be through good tools, regular programmers can do it as well. Okay. So, so what's the goal at the end? Having a machine learning model to, to dis- discover that your data from <laughs> training a machine learning model is bad? <laughs> that, that would be very I, I'd love that. Well, one, one, one analogy that we've been using is for the whole generation of engineers and product managers that successfully run A-B tests without being experts in the statistics underlying them. But with good tools, they're able to conduct those conduct those experiments successfully without needing a PhD in statistics. Okay, fair enough. So basically having this, this specialized use cases where you don't need to understand everything to, to use it, right? Like, yeah, that makes make sense. Yeah, basically, I would say that, you know, um, at the most abstract level, there are many arguments that person X cannot accomplish task Y because they're not skilled enough. And my view is just wait long enough for better tools for them to accomplish it. I mean, l- look at all the things with that you can do using your computer that were unimaginable, you know, uh, that children can do, right, with their computers. That would be unimaginable just um, a few years ago. I really want to train a machine learning model by feeding in multiple data sets as the data set to tell it that the data sets aren't good data set. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> it's machine learning models all the way down this time around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Anyway, we need to get to picks because we're kind of heading into the, the end of our time frame here. But uh, David, if people want to check out Tangram, it looks like you can get the CLI for free. And then, yeah, if you want support or cloud hosting or things like that, you know, you can kind of level up and pay for that. W- where do they get that? And uh, how do they get started with it? So head on over to tangram.dev. Or you can go to our GitHub page. It's linked from our homepage as well. And you can download the CLI, train a model, make predictions with libraries for your favorite programming language. And uh, you can even run the, the web application for reporting, monitoring, explainability uh, right locally, right using the um, Tangram CLI. So say Tangram space app, and it's running on localhost 8080. Then if you want to upgrade and use Tangram in production with that web app, 
then we ask that you buy a license. You can self-host it or we host it at app.tangram.dev. Awesome. All right. And if they want to follow you, say on uh, LinkedIn, Twitter, GitHub, whatever, uh, where do they find you? So I'm on all the social platforms, either under my first name and last name, David Yemnitsky, or my uh, my handle, Nitsky, N-I-T-S-K-Y. Awesome. Hey, folks, if you love this podcast and would like to support the show, or if you wish you could listen without the sponsorship messages, then you're in luck. We're setting up new premium podcast feeds where you can get all of the episodes released after Christmas 2020 without the ads. Signing up will help us pay for editing and production, and you can go sign up at devchat.tv slash premium. All right, well, let's go ahead and do some picks, and then we'll wrap this up. Alan, do you want to start us off with picks? Yeah, I just have one pick this week. I've been working a little bit more with uh, GitHub Actions. I think I'm probably the last person in the room that started working with it. I usually use GitLab, but my clients started using GitHub uh, Actions, and I'm pretty happy with it. So I definitely recommend you guys check it out if you haven't. That's my pick. Awesome. How about you, Sasha? Okay, I have the weirdest pick this week, and I'm going to pick a book, and it's called Play Unsafe, and it's about the tabletop role-playing game and improvisation. And it's a very, very short read. It's like under 100 pages, and it talks, gives a lot of very, very insightful um, anecdotes and stories about how you can be more comfortable with doing improvisation in a tabletop role-playing games. And I've been doing tabletop role-playing games for 10 years now. And I really, really enjoyed reading through that. So if that's a hobby of yours and you are not that comfortable with improvisation, play unsafe is great. Awesome. I'm going to throw out a couple of picks here. One of my picks is uh, lately I've been doing a bit more coaching. If you're not happy with where your career's at or you want to start a podcast, I've been coaching on both. Anyway, you can find more information at topendevs.com slash coaching. Beyond that, so lately I've been playing a whole bunch of board games with some friends of mine. Uh, a friend of mine owns a board game uh, store here in Utah, and he's running some tables at board game convention this week. And I'm actually volunteering. I'm helping helping him uh, helping him out. So we're teaching people how to play a handful of different board games, so people can just walk up and say, "Hey, I want to learn this game." And so we'll sit down and we'll help them and three or four other people, you know, up to however many people can play the game, learn how to play that game. And uh, so we've been playing the game. The one that we played on Sunday is called Viscounts of the West Kingdom. Uh, it's a kind of an involved game. It took us like two hours to play it, but it was because we were learning it and playing it. Otherwise, I think we could probably blow through it an hour, maybe a little longer. Such a fun game. It was really, really fun board game. So I'm going to pick that game. And then we've also been playing Lost Ruins of Arnak, which is also a fun board game. And so I'm going to pick that one. And then I finally finished the book X by John Bevere. Uh, he's a Christian author. So there's a lot of Christian thinking in the book. But if you're looking for a book that really encourages you to kind of find your purpose in life and then go out and kind of multiply and invest in other people, then it is a terrific book. And uh, I'm going to highly recommend it as well. So those are my picks. Uh, David, what are your picks? So sorry, I did not prepare this in advance. <laughs> no, all good. All right. Well, we're going to go ahead and wrap up here then. Thanks for coming, David. This was fun. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, no problem. All right, folks. Well, until next time, Max out. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.